Hi, this is John Leahy. Thanks so much for being with us here on Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Today we have a wonderful episode planned. I had the chance to sit down with the public address voice of the St. Louis Blues, an old friend and colleague of mine, Tom Calhoun. Hope you enjoy today's episode, and I invite you to join us next week when we will have Mike Macknick joining us here on the podcast as we'll preview the Frozen Four and talk college hockey. So until then, hope you enjoy today's episode. to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. John Leahy with you. Delighted to have you along as we are every week. And we have an action-packed show coming up for you this week. Uh, Before we get started, I'd just like to give thanks to my guest last week. We had a chance to speak with John Chelesnik, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America. There was some great play-by-play talk in that episode. John is uh, terrific. If you uh, missed that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. In addition to any of the episodes we've done in the past, uh, they were all there. And uh, if you're so inclined, I'd love to Uh, have you tune in and maybe uh, get your feedback on those episodes. But John was terrific. He joined us from California last week. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking hockey for the pretty much the entire segment. And uh, joining us from uh, Illinois is my good friend and former colleague, uh, Tom Calhoun. If you uh, follow NHL hockey, particularly the St. Louis Blues, uh, you'll know this man. He is the public address announcer of the Blues. He's been uh, working in that capacity since 1987. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, talking with Tom today. Tom, thanks for taking some time. It's always great seeing you, old friend. Good to see you, John, and thanks for the invite. I'm always happy to uh, talk with my old buddy, John Leahy, you bet. (laughs) Well, Tom, I have so many things I'd like to touch on in the 40, 45 minutes we're gonna be chatting. And I guess the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is that big Stanley Cup win for the St. Louis Blues a couple of years ago. Boy, what a run that was. What an experience it must have been to win. It was the Blues' first title since coming into the NHL in 1967. I'm wondering, from your perspective, if you could describe the emotion surrounding that whole thing, any aftermath, the parade, you getting to hoist the Stanley Cup. I really want our listeners to get a sense of that. Wow, there's, uh, there's so much there to talk about, John. I don't hardly know where to start. But, you know, when people ask me uh, to reflect on that whole thing, What comes to mind for me, first of all, is all of the things that had to fall in place for that run to happen and for that Stanley Cup to come to St. Louis that year. Um, Yes, it was a good team. Yes, they beat a good team in the Boston Bruins. 
uh, in the finals and a couple of other teams on the way. But it was almost like uh, somebody had written a story and uh, there were different chapters in the book along the way that had to happen for for this uh, storybook ending to happen for St. Louis Blues fans in 2019. Uh, we had the uh, super fan Layla Anderson, who uh, uh, many of your friends in Boston, I'm sure, uh, remember from the finals. She uh, got a bone marrow transplant that, she, that year. She befriended a lot of the players. Um, she became sort of a mascot on the way along the way. That was just one thing. Uh, the 11-game the winning streak after Jordan Bennington started uh, playing in goal for the Blues, um, the almost loss to Dallas in the second round where they barely missed on a goal that would have won the game in overtime, and then the Blues came back with the Pat Maroon goal to score. Uh, and there were a lot of other little uh, incidences along the way that uh, just seemed like you know, this is going to happen no matter what anybody else does. Uh, it's going to happen for the Blues this year. And uh, when I look back on it, all I can do is uh, thank the good Lord that uh, I was uh, alive long enough to see it because I have been doing it, the PA for the Blues, since 1987, as you said. And there were many years where I thought maybe I was a jinx because we uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we ended the season uh, – all of those years with the, with the loss, you know, and you, you, you kind of shake your head and wonder, well, when's it going to be our time? And uh, before I start rambling, uh, I just want to say that as I, as I introduced the team on the stage underneath the arch after the Stanley Cup parade that year, I walked up to our general manager, Doug Armstrong, who had just climbed onto the stage and he said, and I said, Army, I'm just glad I lived long enough to see this. And he's a much younger man than me, but he said, yeah, me too. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of a funny little anecdote. And, and there's all kinds of stories I could tell, John, but you lead me in the direction that you want to go and, and I'll be happy to cooperate. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking about the aftermath and the celebration and uh, what it meant for the city of St. Louis and what it meant for you to hoist that Stanley Cup. That had to have been uh, quite, uh, quite an experience for you. Well, yeah, I'll talk about the parade and the uh, celebration here in a second. But as far as me hoisting the Stanley Cup, um, the cup was on the stage underneath the Gateway Arch. The Blues players, after I introduced them, you know, they, they hoisted the cup in front of the crowd. Half a million people, they said, some people said on the arch crowns that day. And uh, all of the player celebration was pretty much over with, and they had just exited the stage. And I walked up to the lead owner of the Blues, Tom Stillman, and I said, Tom, if you don't mind, I'd like to go out and get a picture with the Stanley Cup. And he said, are you kidding me? He <laughs> said, you're, you're as important here as anybody else. You go out there and get the cup and put it over your head, and you get as many pictures as you want. And, you know, being a PA announcer, you're kind of on the sidelines most of the time. You don't consider yourself a vital part of what's going on with the team itself. I never have, but for the owner to, you know, make me feel that good at that moment was really special. And um, I'll never forget that. Um, the parade itself, well, Bobby Plager, who unfortunately we lost just the other day, uh, he was one of the original blues. And he said, when, 
when St. Louis finally has its Stanley Cup parade, it's going to be the biggest parade ever seen in this city and probably will be the biggest ever. Well, he was a pretty good predictor on that one because he, uh, you know, people standing along Market Street in downtown St. Louis, eight and nine deep just to get a glimpse of the players and their cars as they went by. And like I said, close to a half a million people at the arch grounds for the, uh, for the ceremony and celebration there. Just a huge, huge turnout from all over the Midwest. Um, some of the pictures, when I look at them today, I, it's hard to imagine that many people crammed themselves into downtown St. Louis that day. But, um, you know, the, the team has changed quite a bit since that day and, and they're feeling the effects of it a little bit this year. And of course, COVID came along and changed everything for everybody. But um, that was just uh, a wonderful, wonderful June 2019 that we had here in, in St. Louis. And uh, I hope whoever your listeners uh, pull for in hockey that they get to experience something like it. Well, Tom, I guess if, there, if there's any regret to the whole thing at all, I guess it was just the fact that you guys won it on the road. Yeah, you won here at Game 7 here in Boston. Can you imagine what it would have been like winning it at the Enterprise Center? I can because we actually had a rehearsal on Game 6. Uh, the NHL had had us come in early that day uh, for a rehearsal in the afternoon of Game 6. And I was there, all of the game presentation people were there. The Stanley Cup was there. Gary Bettman had a lieutenant stand in for him. But other than that, we went through the entire cup awarding ceremony that afternoon uh, in preparation for the possibility that the Blues would win game six. Mm. A lot of people in the building were disappointed that they did not. And of course, once they did not in the in the Bruins won game six. Everybody was very nervous about what might happen in game seven. Of course, we were thrilled the way it went eventually. But, um, yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was totally rehearsed and ready to go, but uh, never put into action that night at game six. My sons, one living in San Diego and one living in Colorado, both flew home for game six. And we were all hoping that that was going to be the uh, – the night but didn't it wasn't to be well you know that's great stuff and you know you and I talked uh, right around the time of game seven and uh, as disappointed as we were here in Boston that disappointment faded pretty quickly because we realized what you guys had in front of you that first championship and and I wound up being very happy for you in a very short period of time well that's kind of you to say and speaks to your thoughtfulness um, yeah we we had a hunger for it here. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, if it hadn't gone uh, the way it did, you know, we might still be shaking our heads and wondering if it's ever going to happen. Um, Boston and the New England area, you know, you guys know how to celebrate. You've had championships in all kinds of sports up there, the, the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Bruins and, um, you know, so it's kind of, I wouldn't say old hat, but you're used to it up there a little bit more than we are here in St. Louis. And um, it was a very, very special thing for the fans of the St. Louis Blues to, uh, to experience all that. 
Well, Tom, uh, let's talk a little bit about your history in, in broadcasting. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I have to laugh because I was reading a little bit uh, about you. And, you know, your interest in this really goes back a long way. In fact, there was a, a lady in church, right, that kind of uh, encouraged you to get into the business. And so did that kind of put some thoughts into your mind of, hey, this is what I want to do? I think that was the first inspiration I had, John. Uh, the story goes that uh, myself and two or three other uh, young people who were in high school at the time were invited to give part of a sermon at the church we attended as kids on Youth Sunday. And so we did that, um, and I was incredibly nervous, like a young 17-year-old would be, to stand up in front of a couple hundred people and speak. But I guess I did okay because um, we were asked to shake hands with the congregation as they were leaving church that morning. And standing there, shaking hands with all the folks, saying hello, one little old lady came up to me afterwards, shook my hand and said, you know, young man, you have a very nice speaking voice. You should get into broadcasting. <laughs> and and I said, well, ma'am, thank you very kindly for saying that. Um, I'll give it some thought. And I did give it some thought. And, and after that, not too long after that, actually, the, uh, the church actually that I attended in those days broadcast its uh, Sunday morning service on the radio, the local radio station. And one of the guys who uh, coordinated all that contacted me not long after that and asked me if I'd like to introduce the, um, the church service on the radio station. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess I would. That, would. that would be kind of fun. So even though I was still in my teens, um, you know, I was thought enough of by the people who uh, ran the broadcast for the church to start uh, introducing the, uh, the sermon of the sun, you know, Sunday morning sermon and Welcome to the Sunday morning broadcast of St. Paul United Church of Christ, you know, and so <laughs> forth on, on the local radio station. So that's kind of how the ball got going. And then not too long after that, me being a big baseball fan, too, uh, I was a big Jack Buck fan who broadcast the Cardinals games in those days. And I recall as I was thinking about things to do with myself in my senior year of high school, I remember him saying one time, on one of his broadcasts, boy, you know, we've got the greatest job in the world, broadcasting these Major League Baseball games for the Cardinals, uh, whoever it might be for, you know, we get to sit here and see every game. We get to talk to the fans all the time, get to eat and drink free in the press box lounge, you know, <laughs> thinking, Man, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Maybe I could do some of that. And I, I knew by then I wasn't going to be a major league baseball player, which was my original aspiration. And I thought, well, maybe I can use this voice that God gave me and and pursue the broadcasting business. And and that's kind of it. Kind of went from there. I went to the local college and uh, got a um, associate's degree, and then went on to SIU Southern Illinois University and got a mass communications degree and got to do a lot of uh, college broadcasting there and uh, you know got into the broadcasting business right after I got out of college I was lucky at that too but it's gone from there John 
Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Jack Buck kind of planting that seed and you actually went uh, to KMOX and did an internship where you actually did work with Jack Buck. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, well, in my senior year of college, um, which would have been 1972, so you can figure out how old I am from that. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to get an internship at KMOX in St. Louis, um, the 50,000 red hot watts of KMOX, uh, <laughs> clear transportation. And uh, I asked for that. The uh, internship advisor at Southern Illinois University said, we have an opening at uh, KMOX if you'd like it. It doesn't, it's not in the sports department, but you know, you'd be in the building with uh, all the professionals there. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, you'd be the assistant to Jim White, who was the evening talk show host at the time. And um, I said, well, you know, as long as I'm in the, uh, within the walls of KMOX, I think, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So they set it up. And my very first day on the job, I went in and uh, met with Jim White and he kind of gave me the, uh, ground rules of what I'd be doing. And essentially what I was doing was finding interesting topics in the uh, news copy wire, uh, the news wire copy that came over the Associated Press uh, machine during the day. And uh, they, would, they would take the uh, feature stories from the Associated Press and they put them up on a nail in the newsroom. He said, go in and get the stories off of that nail See if you can find some interesting people to call out to and get uh, some interviews lined up for our show in the evenings. Okay, I can do that. So I walk into the newsroom, grab the stuff off of the nail in there, and somebody walks up next to me and grabs the stuff off of the sports nail. I look, <laughs> over, I look over out of the corner of my eye, and there's Jack Buck standing there. Mm. Oh, my goodness. A little starstruck, Tom? <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I couldn't speak. I was frozen in fear. And uh, I stood there looking through the wire copy, kept on looking. Every once in a while, I kind of glance out of the corner of my eye to make sure he was still standing there. And he never went away. And then about five minutes after I first saw him, he finally uh, looks over at me and I kind of caught his glance and I looked over at him and he said, well, aren't you going to introduce yourself? <laughs> I said, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Buck. I'm, I'm Tom Calhoun. I'm the new intern from Southern Illinois Universities. Well, welcome. Welcome aboard, Calhoun. <laughs> and uh, 15 minutes later, uh, after we had a nice long conversation and he made me feel welcome, uh, he became even more of a hero because he, he made me feel right at home. You know, you did the, what you just described uh, kind of reminded me of the time I met uh, Fred Cusick for the first time, a longtime Bruins uh, Hall of Fame television announcer. I was in the Boston Garden aged. Uh, I was, couldn't have been more than 14 years old. And uh, I actually met Fred twice, but that time in the garden, I was too scared to ask him for an autograph, but I got up the courage. And, uh, you know, that, that's quite an experience when you get to meet and much less work for, for a guy like that. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I was so lucky because uh, not only did I work with Jim White, who was a tremendous radio pro at the time, but getting to see and talk with Jack Buck and Dan Kelly and uh, Bob Starr and a whole bunch of other people who came through KMOX in those days 
uh, it was a little bit before Bob Costas's time. Costi came later, but um, you know those those experiences for a young person trying to get into the business are just so valuable. And, and um, Jack Buck, as he is famous for doing, made made me feel very comfortable, and I'll always appreciate that. Well, Tom, let's talk about your transition over to the Blues PA job. Uh, we mentioned earlier that uh, you've been doing it since January 4th, 1987. And, you know, you touched on Dan Kelly, who uh, was just a, a legend. Yeah, And I, I just can't, uh, I can't put into words the impact he had on hockey broadcasting. But uh, I got the sense that Dan was the one who actually encouraged you for the Blues PA job. And talk a little bit about that and your experiences working with Dan. Okay. Well, um, this would be in the uh, mid-1980s. Uh, I had gotten a job at KXOK Radio in St. Louis, which at that time had uh, won the broadcast rights of ho Blues hockey games away from KMOX. They had been the high bidder. KXOK at that time was making a venture into talk radio and getting the blues contract was a big um, uh, feather in their cap, you know, to get that away from KMOX, which was the big dog in town and, and still is for uh, even today. Um, but in those days, um, getting that blues contract was a big deal. And along with it came Dan Kelly and some of the people who uh, made the transition over from, from KMOX, including Ron Jacober, I know Ron Jacober's not a national name, but he was he was a big uh, supporter of mine and somebody I had worked with previously, and he hired me at KXOK. So I'm working with these guys in the sports department there at KXOK, and one day uh, Mr. Jacober uh, calls me into his office. This is would be in December of 87, I guess it was. And... Uh, he said, uh, have a seat a minute. Um, Dan and I have been talking and we, we have heard that uh, uh, Charlie, uh, I'm blanking on Charlie's last name right now. Um, Charlie Hodges, who was my predecessor at uh, the Blues PA, he said he's gonna have to leave in the middle of the season because he's getting a job with Bud Sports over at Anheuser-Busch and they won't let him do the PA anymore once he starts that job. And uh, Dan and I have been talking and uh, we think you've got the kind of background and the voice to handle that job. Would you be interested? I said, well, yeah, I didn't ask about money or anything like that. I said, well, yeah, I'd be interested. And I said, who do I talk to about that? He says, call Susie Matthew. Susie was one of the first female executives in uh, high-end professional sports at that time and she was the uh, head of communications for the blues and so he said uh, call Susie and she wants to talk to you about it I said okay I will so I went over there and had a meeting with Susie and uh, she said on Dan's recommendation and, and Ron's recommendation we'd like to uh, consider you for for the PA job for the rest of the uh, 86, 87 season. I said, well, that's very flattering. Turns out, you know, John, I kind of had it in the back of my mind. I said, I, I don't know if I want to do this PA thing for very long. You know, I'm more interested in 
I'm more interested in the broadcasting business and play-by-play sports, which was my kind of uh, focus at the at that time. And uh, she said, "Well, if you finish out the season for us, you know, we'd appreciate it very much." I said, "Well, yeah, I can at least do that." I got paid all of twenty-five dollars a game in those days, John. Yeah. yeah, and. It was the time when Harry Arnest owned the Blues, and he he saved the Blues from moving to Saskatoon uh, at one time. And they were counting paper clips. They they didn't spend money on anything in those days, and right. so twenty five bucks a game was actually pretty decent. But <clears throat> excuse me a moment. <coughs> Sorry about that. No problem. But um, so I I went into it thinking, well, I'm just going to finish out the season, and that'll be that. But Dan, yeah, he was right there along with Ron recommending me for this thing. And I appreciate that forever. Because as it turned out, as you know, I've been doing it for uh, 34 years now. But uh, towards the end of that season, um, I don't know if I'd have to look at the records to see if the Blues made the playoffs, but it it doesn't matter. Towards the end of the regular season, Susie uh, got on the phone and called me down in my, my workstation there in the penalty box. And she said, um, would you mind stopping by my office after the game? I said, no, that'll be fine. And I'm thinking, oh boy, what did I do wrong? Hmm. And um, I went into her office and she said, have a seat for a minute. She said, I've been talking with everybody here in management and all of us really like the way you're doing the PA announcing. Would you consider coming back now? next season and here was my answer i said well susie that's very flattering and i i'm enjoying the actual work and it's kind of sexy when seventeen thousand fans start yelling when you you make an announcement <laughs> you've got and, the power <laughs> and um i i appreciate that very much i said but truthfully i can't devote that much time away from my family my 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 kids and my my wife uh, for for that kind of money, I just you know I can't justify that. She goes, "We will make it worth your while." Magic words. Magic words. Right. I said, "Okay, if you will make it worth my while, does that mean I can name my price?" And she said, "Well, not really." <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, she said, "We will, we will, we will do our best to accommodate you know your financial concerns." And they did, and it was, um, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, and all along the way, I've, I've worked for five different ownership groups now, and all of them have made me feel real welcome and, and part of uh, part of their presentation that that they appreciate. So it's been a good long run. Well, that gets me to my next question. Now, uh, it's, is it true now that I read you have never missed a game, and what is your current streak at? I have never missed a game since I started on January 4th of 87. In fact, I've done an away game in Stockholm, Sweden for the Detroit Red Wings. But uh, I believe I I write the number of the streak uh, on each of my game sheets now. And I believe the one I did Sunday was uh, 1,534. That's amazing. 1,534 consecutive games for the Blues, yeah. You're the Cal Ripken of PA announcing, Tom. I mean, 
That that's incredible. Well, that's you know, that's another thing I'd like to find out from somebody is if Lou Nolan in Philadelphia has been doing it. He's been doing it longer than I have, much longer. I think he goes back almost to the late '60s with the Flyers. Yeah. But I've tried to find out if he has a consecutive game streak. I don't think so because I've asked him that question in our Facebook group a couple of times, and he won't give me a straight answer. <laughs> so, uh, so I think uh, I think I might hold the streak a record in the NHL for PA. Great stuff. And among the highlights of your PA career in St. Louis, uh, Tom. Of course, you had the Stanley Cup championship, but you've also got called two NHL All-Star games and the Winter Classic at Bush Stadium. Now, uh, you know, outdoor hockey really has, uh, has caught on and become popular. Uh, talk a little bit about those experiences. Yeah, the two All-Star games were great. Mario Lemieux was an amazing, uh, put on an amazing show back in the 88 All-Star game here in St. Louis. Uh, he got the MVP and won a truck. I believe it was a Ram truck, if I recall, mm -hmm. that night. And Gretzky was on the ice at the same time and a lot of big names. But but that was a lot of fun at the old arena in St. Louis. The All-Star game in uh, 2020, we just barely got in because COVID came in right after that and uh, shut everything down, you know, a little over a month later. But that was that was also a great deal of fun. Um, that particular All-Star game, I was the, I was handling the announcements in the game, um, and uh, they brought in uh, someone else to handle the uh, the stuff that got on TV. But it was still a lot of fun, and I, I appreciated uh, just being part of the uh, the excitement of it all. And um, what was your other part of the question? The um, oh, the Winter Classic. Oh, the Winter Classic. Oh, yeah, that was spectacular. Um, we had the alumni game with all of the Blues alumni stars and the Chicago Blackhawks alumni stars on that Saturday, uh, December the 31st. And that was spectacular. I got to introduce Wayne Gretzky again as the greatest player of all time. Oh, you, I, I have that script around here somewhere. I wish I could read it for you. But it was a great script, and I got to introduce Gretzky and as he waved to the crowd on the big scoreboard at Bush Stadium. It was, uh, was quite a moment. But um, that was on uh, December 31st, 2017, I believe. And then on December 2nd, 2018, we had the actual Winter Classic Blues versus the Blackhawks. The Blues won that game. It was great. Uh, we didn't know if we were going to play that day because the rain was in the forecast. And as you know, if it rains on the outdoor ice, it's not a good thing. But it, but the weather cooperated and we got it in. And seeing all, all those people finally getting a winter classic in St. Louis, uh, the, the stands were packed. The blocks around the stadium were all packed. The, all, all the drinking uh, and eating establishments close by were all packed. It, I mean, downtown St. Louis was just a buzz it was it was quite a bit of fun and i got to broadcast or actually do the pa from the uh from the cardinals press box i wasn't down at ice level that day but uh i had a pretty good seat anyway it was a lot of fun absolutely and uh you know i had a chance myself to do uh the frozen fenway when merrimack was involved at fenway park and just being able to be in that environment was was so, so special, and I know exactly of what you speak. We're speaking with Tom Calhoun. He's the public address voice of the St. Louis Blues, and 
Tom, people that are listening to us today might be wondering how you and I cross paths. Well, you're also the public address voice for the Gateway Grizzlies of the Frontier League. I was in that league for three years. I spent two years in Kalamazoo, Michigan with the Kalamazoo Kings, and then I was in Florence uh, with the Florence Freedom for one year. But uh, boy, they love you at Gateway, don't they? they what, a, what a great job you do there, and uh, it gives you some, some great work to do in the offseason. Well, yeah, the uh, summertime spent there uh, doing baseball games, um, it has just been a, a joy as well. You know, and I told you earlier that, you know, my first love was baseball. And so having the opportunity to do those games uh, when it came along back in 2003 was just uh, <clears throat> just a great blessing for me because uh, – the other thing about those games, John, as you know, is that it's a little bit more laid back than the high-end productions you have at the highest levels of sports. You know, the Blues uh, hand me a script and they hand me a log of how everything's going to go, and it's almost laid out second to second, yeah. uh, you know, from beginning to end. Whereas at the Grizzlies games, uh, a little bit of a story there, the very first night I worked at a Grizzlies game, Rich Soje, who just um, stepped down as president of the Frontier League a few weeks ago, but he's also the owner of the Grizzlies. He came up to me in the press box the very first night I worked there, and he said, I just have one rule for you <laughs> as you start this job. I said, yeah, Rich, what's that? Have as much fun as you possibly can. All right. He said, yeah. Hey, don't you love to hear those words coming out of the mouth of your boss? <laughs> You know, he said, just have as much fun as you possibly can. Because he said, these games, as far as I'm concerned, we're putting on a big party. And oh, by the way, there's a baseball game going on too. That's the way we look at it. So just tell jokes, just keep it loose, make sure that people know you're having a good time and that'll help them have a good time. And that's that's been the mantra for me doing the Grizzlies games ever since I started. And and the Grizzlies, I think, are thought of pretty much as the model franchise, or one of them anyway, in the Frontier League, which is now expanding, by the way. And um, it's been a lot of fun, just a whole heck of a lot of fun doing those games in the summertime. And, you know, one of my favorite stories uh, in, during my time in broadcasting occurred uh, in Gateway. We were playing there uh, – in August, it was an afternoon game, and St. Louis gets hot like few places get hot. And Ooh, I got, boy, I do. And it was probably the only time that I ever did an afternoon game at that ballpark. And, Tom, I got to tell you, it was so hot. Uh, I lost – I must have lost 10 pounds in the boot that day. And our catcher, Mike Russell, actually stopped sweating. It was so hot. I, when we got back to Western Michigan, I asked him, Mike, how did you get through that? And he said, I actually stopped sweating. It was so hot. So, uh, you know, I related that in my first book. But, yeah, we, we had some fun times over there, that's for sure. Well, you're awfully good at what you do. And so uh, I'm sure you uh, did a great broadcast nonetheless. You know, since those days when you were here, they actually did put air conditioning in the press box. And there you go. Away. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't know if I had anything to do with that, but I did complain about uh, working conditions a couple <laughs> times on the way. And uh, but uh, yeah, they they are uh, uh, very good at uh, taking care of people there. And so uh, the, the air conditioning came along. I don't know, five or six years ago. But that was 
that was part of the expansion into a video presentation that they had to uh, take care of the equipment a little better, you know, not to let it get too hot. Those cameras and some of the uh, switching equipment for video scoreboards and such are a little more sensitive than we people are, in fact. So uh, they had to put in some air conditioning up there. You know, one of the great things I love about that ballpark, Tom, is you walk out on the concourse behind the press box. I don't know if it's changed, but uh, you walk out on the concourse, you see that St. Louis arch uh, lit up at night. Boy, that's pretty special. I took a lot of pictures uh, when I was there. That, that, that's a very cool view. Yeah, it is. And we get to see all that weather rolling in from the west there, too. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, a lot of times we look out that in that direction and we see the arch over there across the river but right behind it is a big old thunderstorm coming our way and and uh but a lot of times we get great sunsets too and so it's uh it's a great perch for all of us who work up in the press box there and uh, a lot of times on the fourth of july also we get to look out over the um soje bottom uh river bottom area there and on the other side of the river at the arch grounds are putting on that fabulous Fourth uh, of July fireworks show, and and that's pretty special too. Great stuff, and uh, you know, in fact, I remember one of the times that I was uh, doing a game there. You told me about that Sweden trip that you took with the Blues, you know, and we were all pretty captivated by it. Uh, that had to have been awfully special to go over there. Yeah, it was. Um, at the time, uh, I was asked to go. I said, well am I going over there just to do one game? You know, the guy that from the league called me and said, no, nope. uh, the Red Wings PA guy is, is getting a little up there in years and he's decided not to travel. So we'd like you to do both the blues home game and the Red Wings home game. And I said, okay, fine. And you know, they said, keep track of your expenses and we'll make sure that all gets taken care of. And you'll stay at the, <laughs> the, uh, NHL hotel in Stockholm there and you'll have some time to look around uh, and see the sights besides work in the game so it, it was a great trip and I had never been to Europe before and haven't been since as a matter of fact but uh, uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful trip thanks to the NHL and the uh, what did they call it the um, had a special name the premier series I think they called it back in those days where they played games overseas and tried to uh, engage the fans in some of the European cities. Great stuff. Now, uh, Tom, you touched uh, earlier on the death of Bob Plager. Uh, he and his bar brother Barkley uh, played for the Blues. And uh, I know you, you were close with Bob. Uh, maybe you could just share some of your, your thoughts and your memories and certainly your condolences of uh, Bob Plager. Yeah, sure. Um, Bobby was just a wonderful guy. I've got his picture uh, uh, hanging here in my man cave as I'm talking to you. I, I can see it from here. And he autographed it for me after I stopped by his bar with a bunch of other blues employees and former employees uh, several years ago. And we had a good afternoon of reminiscing. And I had a picture taken with him outside with the Bobby's place sign behind me. And uh, he was quite a guy. And people who uh, are hockey fans uh, elsewhere and not in St. Louis probably just don't quite get how much of a um, icon he had become over the, over the years here in St. Louis. Uh, he was one of these people that you feel like you've known all your life when you first met them. You know, right away you feel 
you get a smile, you might get a little joke, you know, and he would give you time. He would, he would show you that he was interested in you and what, uh, you know, what brought you to a blues game or what brought you to some kind of promotional event. Um, not only was, a very, was he a very good hockey player for 14 years in the NHL, but uh, later on as coach, uh, he was a scout. He coached the um, Peoria Rivermen, the uh, Blues' top farm team for a few years, actually won the championship there once. So he played all kinds of roles in the Blues organization in the 50-plus years that he worked for the team. And that doesn't even do it justice either because – people just genuinely loved the guy right off the bat. And, you know, he loved them back. And wherever there was a blues game, wherever there was a blues promotion, wherever there was something going on blues related, generally you would see Bob Plager there and he would be uh, the center of attraction because he would tell stories. He would tell jokes. He would um, uh, just engage whoever was around as long as they uh, wanted to do so. And uh, so it was a sad day when he passed away or, you know, last week and doing a moment of silence for him at that game Friday night. Uh, uh, some people told me that they heard my voice quaver a little bit when I introduced the uh, moment of silence. And if they heard that, that was genuine because, um, you know, everybody loved the guy. It's just that simple. And his brother Barkley, in fact, his other brother Billy, all played for the Blues at one point in time. In fact, Scotty Bowman started all three of them on a forward line one time in a game against Montreal back in a Hockey Night in Canada broadcast back in uh, back in the uh, early '70s, I think it was. So, um, yeah, the Plaguers, uh, just you know, salt of the earth type people and people that. Uh, if you were in a battle somewhere, you'd like to have them next to you. That's for sure. And uh, when the battle was over, you'd like to have one of them telling a joke. Absolutely. And uh, Tom, I should also mention that you're a member of the St. Louis Sports of Hall of Fame. Uh, talk about what 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 an honor that was, and and your reaction to being uh, placed into that great Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, you know, things like that you don't expect. But when they happen, you're, you're just kind of flabbergasted. And when, when Greg Marisek, uh, the late Greg Marisek, he has since passed away since uh, I got inducted. Uh, when he called me and said, Tom, guess what? what? What's that, Greg? He said, you're going into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. I said, you, are you kidding me? I said, what have I done to deserve that? He goes, well, 1,500 or so consecutive games as a Blues announcer, that's not so bad. And uh, he said, you did a lot of good things when you when you were broadcasting as well at KMOX and other stations and a lot of us on the uh, board just think you're deserving of it. And when you hear those words, you just, uh, you know, a tear comes to your eye and you, you think what a lucky guy I am. And um, so back in uh, February, early February of last year, um, they had a ceremony at one of the local places uh, and several other people who were deserving of going in, I think much more than me probably, uh, were also inducted. And not long after that, again, the, uh, the virus came along. So I was lucky to get that uh, taken care of before, uh, before COVID. But what a tremendous honor. 
honor and to to thought of in that way to be thought of in that way by people that you respect and who uh, uh, have been in this business and and in the sports business for a long time um, it's just humbling and and you're grateful and you know I'll go to my I'll go to my grave thanking God that I was uh, thought of in that way. Well, Tom, we're going to be wrapping it up here in the next few minutes, but I wanted to touch on your work with uh, uh, some charity work uh, through Cameo. Uh, you, you talk a little bit about that and, and, and how that's going for you. Okay. Well, when the, uh, when the virus kind of shut everything down last year, uh, I found out uh, through a Facebook group of the NHLPA announcers that I belong to that a couple of the other guys were doing these Cameo shout outs and donating uh, the money from it to, uh, to charity. And Jeff uh, Kowarski, Jeff K, he's known as in Dallas, uh, called me up. He said, hey, Tom, why don't you get on this Cameo uh, thing? And you and I will do a challenge uh, because you guys, you know, have just come off the All-Star game. You're just coming off of the uh, Stanley Cup run. And, you know, you're a pretty hot item right now. He said, I think you'd do pretty good with that. Uh, he said, I've been doing it and making a little extra money at it. But he said, on this challenge, we can just donate the money to our favorite charity. And he donated to, to his money to um, uh, the Dallas alumni group, was involved with some charities there in, in Dallas. And I decided here, because Layla Anderson had just gone through her bone marrow transplant, uh, courtesy of Be the Match, the bone marrow transplant registry organization, I said, well, I'll just donate to Layla because I became friends with Layla and her dad at my uh, Hall of Fame induction not too long before that. And Layla, of course, uh, a lot of people know her from her, uh, her run with the team in 2019. But anyway, uh, it's worked out really well. Uh, you know, people ask me to do uh, three stars of the game or announce <laughs> announce a goal or a happy birthday in my blues voice, PA voice. Um, you know, I'm happy to do it and uh, happy to uh, donate a good portion of the money to, uh, to be the match. And, uh, last year in 2020, I think we donated close to $4,000 to be the match because of these cameo shout outs. So that's, that's become a lot of fun for me as well, staying in touch with the fans and helping out a charity. You know what, Tom? The Frozen Four is coming to St. Louis in 2025. If Merrimack is in it, you and I are going to do a cameo, and I'm going to bring the uke, and we're going to figure something out. <laughs> you bet. That'll be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the for Frozen Four coming back. I, I worked with one in 2007 that was here in St. Louis, and so, so that, was, uh, that was also a lot of fun. But, yeah, bring your Merrimack, boys, and we'll figure something out. Well, Tom, listen, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a quick favor. I have two friends – uh, here in the Boston area, that uh, they're diehard St. Louis Blues fans. And I wondered if you would consider doing a quick Blues goal announcement with the two names I'm going to give you. Are you are you up for that? I think I can do that, yep. All right. Uh, the names are Bruce Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R. Okay. And the other one is uh, J-Dog Arsenault. That's his uh, professional nickname. So it's Bruce Glazer. Okay. Bruce Glazer and J-Dog Arsenault. Okay. And you can – And who scored the goal? Uh, let's, let's give Bruce the goal. All right. Blues goal, his 30th of the season, scored by number one, Bruce Glazer. Assisted by number 24, 
J-Dog Arsenov. <laughs> Time of the goal, 425. Glazer assisted by Arsenov. Blues goal at 425. Oh, Tom, you're, you're incredibly gifted at what you do. And I'll tell you, your friendship means a lot to me. I can't thank you enough for being with us here tonight. I know our fans are going to love it. Uh, hopefully we'll get through this pandemic and get back to some normalcy here. But uh, again, I can't thank you enough. I hope to, I'm going to continue to talk with you. Hopefully I'll see you out in St. Louis. So when Merrimack gets there in 25. We'll, uh, we'll count on that, John. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. And uh, thanks for asking me on your show. I appreciate the time being with you. And, and hopefully I didn't bore too many people. Tom, our listeners are going to love it. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, be well and uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, John. Thanks for having me. All right. He is Tom Calhoun, the public address voice of the St. Louis Blues. We invite you to stay with us. Next week, we'll have another episode of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. So long, everybody. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.